today on CityCast Denver. A beautiful tradition returned to Ball Arena this week alongside the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. A massive sing-along to Blink-182's All the Small Things. It was the Avs' home opener, and the crowd was buzzing. Even Blink-182's lead singer, Mark Hoppus, was in the house and fully decked out in Avs gear for an interview between periods on TNT. Are you now a diehard Avs fan? Do you watch the Avs? What's your favorite thing about hockey? Uh, My favorite thing about hockey is when uh, the game is going on and people sing our songs. (laughs) It's Friday, and we're talking about a big week of sports, ego, money, power, and everything in between. Today is Friday, October 14th, 2022. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, Blink-182's favorite podcast. (laughs) Don't ask me how I know. I know. I was like, I don't think any of us have a inroad with Blink-182 personally, but... Based on what little I know of Mark Hoppus, I think his favorite podcast is his podcast. Oh, he has a pod. Of course he has a podcast. I'm just (laughs) guessing, but he just seems like a guy who likes his own work. Mark, let us know where we fit in your, you know, lineup of podcasts. We could be his second favorite. (laughs) Prove me wrong. I don't think he's like that into Denver, but... No. (laughs) You never know. You never know. You never know. Hey, it's Friday. We are in the Lindy Zimmer studio here Mm -hmm. at Westward, and we are talking about the news of the week. Before we get to that, some introductions. I am Aaron O'Toole, producer on the show. Joining me, Paul Caroli. Hey, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. (laughs) And Bree Davies. Hi, Aaron. (laughs) <laughs> this is weird. I'm not used to sitting in this chair. So I love it. Yeah, I like it too. I'm loving it already. Great. I got a great view, great view of the artwork on the walls here. So before we dive into the news, we do have to clarify a couple of important coffee matters. Brie? Yeah, I just wanted to say I was talking about uh, Cultura Chocolates Champurado yesterday, and I mischaracterized it as a, a coffee and corn drink, and it's really a cacao and corn drink. That can have various other flavors, cinnamon and things like that. But I just wanted to clarify that because it was bugging, it was driving mm-hmm. me nuts as I was listening <laughs> I to the episode. It. And I was half asleep yesterday when we were doing that episode. And yeah. so I just wanted to clarify. I'm glad you did. That sounds delicious. Oh, it is delicious. I mean, not to say that someone out there couldn't make some kind of corn and coffee concoction that would be equally delightful. But yeah, what you just laid out, that... It sounds good. I mean, it's fabulous. We yeah. should take a trip there. We should. I we should take a. I was looking at pictures of the building. Oh, it's at, beautiful. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. They've really transformed it into this like cool space because you can't really see off of Morrison Road. It's like a beautifully painted building. And then you go around the corner and there's this gorgeous patio. It looks out onto their garden. It's, it's great. And so. as someone recently introduced to the concept of drinking chocolate, oh, I know. It's so different. Mm-hmm. It's so different than hot chocolate because hot chocolate has sort of been bastardized in this way where we're just used to it coming out of a package with some Powder. hot water and it's disgusting. Weird little marshmallows. And this is, I know, I mean. I'll it, take it. It's okay. It's fine. But yeah. it's nothing. It's like you can't compare it yeah. to drinking chocolates or yeah. sipping chocolates. or so. Different thing. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So um, The other thing, Starbucks. Uh, we talked about it a oh, lot yesterday. Yeah. Uh, 
last night we got the news out of Colorado Springs that the, 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 I think first and still only store in the Springs that had unionized. And for anyone who hasn't heard about this, Starbucks employees across the country are going store by store and unionizing. That's kind of the approach they're taking to organizing this year. And um, we heard last night that Starbucks, the company, shut down that store. They've decided to close that store um, conspicuously close to the time that uh, the next contract bargaining would start. Disgusting. So, Bree, I mean, just absolutely disgusting. It, that has always blown me away because my first impression of Starbucks was it was a company that kind of cared for people. I mean, it tells you a lot about their marketing. Yeah, it works. It's a, it's a very... Uh, I mean, it's also probably changed quite a bit as they've expanded, because I have to say one of my mm-hmm. best friends was a barista probably 15 years ago, and it was a very different environment. Um, and as anything grows, oftentimes it, it gets less and less uh, amenable to its employees. Yeah. And this just like, I know, I mean, I've been like taking breaks from Starbucks anyway, but I think hearing that news, I was like, I can't support this company anymore. If they're going to punish their employees that way. It's it's just disgusting. Bree, would you say that if there was a local coffee company out there that wanted to advertise on the show that your coffee allegiance is for sale? A hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, me Starbucks too. never advertised with us, just to be clear. Yeah, no. I just happen to be a person who admits that I go there, yeah. even though most people won't admit it, although the lines are always out into the street from the drive-thru. So clearly some of y'all are also joining me in my trips oh, to Starbucks. People love it. It's a great shop. Yeah. But like, well, I, and I also, I always want to say, I love the baristas. It's one yeah. of the reasons I go there. Every Starbucks I go to, they're so nice to me. I love that. What do you think we do about that? Like how do, because I'm, I am not, I'm like a little bit more conflicted about unions in general than you. In True. this particular case, I think like, I don't know how I'm going to respond to this because the Starbucks that I like to go to is one of the union shops. So I don't know, like, should I stop going? Should I keep going more because it gives them more leverage against the company? I don't know. I don't know. We need a labor expert to help us on this. I think we do. I think we do. When you want to shop ethically, eat and drink ethically, how do you do that? Right. Also, the stakes are only going to get higher because I haven't, I don't know if I haven't gotten a chance to talk about this with anyone, but... Chipotle, this is happening. The same thing. They're going store by store. The oh. store in Lansing uh, unionized like two months ago. So it's that's going to be in your own backyard here grow. soon, Paul. I, I think it's going to be here fast. Yeah, based on that and the comments on the Chipotle subreddit where the workers hang out. <laughs> oh my God, Paul, that reminds me. I joined Reddit for the first time last yeah? night because I wanted to look at an anti-MLM post and I couldn't if I wasn't a <laughs> officially like uh-huh. logged in. Oh, no. So for the first time in my entire life, I am now on Reddit. <laughs> I, well, wow. I'm eager to hear how your journey goes. It it's feels a lot like Twitter. It's like yeah. at first it's informational and then it's just people being mean. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. well, this is the nature of the internet. So, Hey, CityCast. This is Ben. I'm in the um, South Capitol Alamo Fasida neighborhood. And I just got finished listening to the coffee episode and I can't believe there was no love for Pablo's. Got three locations. My favorite is the one located at Six in Washington. It's got a nice little patio, great coffee. Uh, the interior is filled with lovely plants. You can get Pablo's coffee flavored ice cream 
from Nugs on Colfax, and that is just amazing as well. Um, so, yeah, I can't believe Nola for Pablo's just had to call it in. Love the podcast, love the newsletter. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so I personally could talk about coffee all day, but we have news to get to. And I think we should start with the big battle, Comcast versus Altitude. And I, this, this is just so weird. The Avalanche raised their Stanley Cup banner to the rafters of Ball Arena Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It was broadcast on TNT, so it was more accessible. But that is not going to be the case for most games this season. And that's because of Altitude's ongoing contract dispute with Comcast. Paul, this whole dispute with Altitude has officially stretched into a fourth season now. Mm-hmm. Please explain the situation. Denver is such a major city. It is a major sports town. Why can't we watch our sports? Well, it's very irritating, the situation. A lot of people are irritated because a lot of people who live here are Comcast subscribers. Sure. That's how we get our cable. It's a dominant player for some reason that I actually still don't understand. But about four years ago, what happened was... Altitude's contract with Comcast expired. And this happens has happened in the past. These contracts expire. There are these disputes. Sometimes there's blackouts. But four years ago, it happened, and then they couldn't make a deal. So Altitude filed an antitrust lawsuit, and that lawsuit has just been in and out of litigation ever since. Like, there's been calls for mediators. There's been constant negotiations and delayed talks. And the most recent ones failed in June Um, just after the legislative session when a lot of lawmakers were talking about maybe forcing the two parties back to the table or weren't a couple trying to step in and get something done and that what happened well this is my conspiracy theory but i think that they they intentionally scheduled their next negotiations for after the legislative session in order to avoid any pressure from lawmakers because they could just say oh yeah, we've scheduled our next talks. We're going to take these ones really seriously. But anyway, that's just kind of been the whole story is it's these two sides. No one wants to make a deal. Um, This week it's come up, obviously, because the Avalanche are back. The regular season open on Wednesday. The Nuggets start like in a week or two. And um, there's still no deal. So Altitude held, and that's the Cronkies, Stan Cronkies family. They own the Nuggets. They own the Avs. They held this big press conference and they unveiled this bus that's going to be driving around Denver with the phrase, why did Comcast dump us? <laughs> oh, so the games rich people yeah. play. That's that's kind of the latest, yeah, <laughs> the latest punch in this fight. Bree, what do you think about this? How, I mean, has this affected your, your life? I mean... Uh, no, and that we may or may not use slightly less than legal means to watch our games because mm-hmm. I'm not playing these games with the Crockies. I'm going to watch the Nuggets however I want, and they can suck it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> my take is that this should be a public good of some kind, and I think that um, our sports teams should be handed over to public television i'd love I to love see that. yeah i'd love to see channel 12 or uh channel 6 you know rocky mount pbs or pbs 12 host um our sports teams because then everybody can watch them as they should be able to because these are things <laughs> in our city that we're the boosters for we're the ticket holders ticket buyers for we're the taxpayers for and we get treated like garbage by companies like uh, Cronky. What is it, KSE? Alti- it's it's like it's six altitude, names. It's KSE Entertainment. It's Cronky. It's the Altitude. It's just this one company that owns all these sports teams here and some in LA. 
Yeah, they don't care about us. I'm so glad we're talking about this on these terms early because this is like the only part of this that I still care about. I, I was thinking about this earlier. It got me so mad, this whole truck stunt. This it's, why it's did Comcast dump us? Rude. Like, what are you, who's us? Yeah. Who's the yeah. us? You know, you can't put the Avalanche logo and the Nuggets logo on the side of your truck and say us and then like try to rope us all into your negotiations. It's a pure emotional play. It's very dirty. I hated it. I Although hated it. without fans, you don't have sports. So you might want to. Yeah. I mean, aren't they taking a huge risk of could people just lose interest? People? Yeah, they alienate. They I think lose they interest. already are losing interest. Again, like a lot of folks are not quote unquote from Denver. And I'm not saying this as a trans anti-transplant mm -hmm. thing. I'm saying maybe you come from somewhere else and you bring your love of your sports team with you and you have no incentive to get interested in what we have to offer here because you can't even watch it. Yeah, it's easier to watch one of the like league-wide sports packages and I you can, can just watch, follow your own team. Yeah, I mean, we thought about getting the NBA package and we didn't because Nuggets games are blacked out. <laughs> you know, here's something, Brie. Um, where I grew up and I, where Aaron, I know you lived for a while, Ohio, the sports that are the biggest are college sports. Interesting. So they are publicly funded in some sense. I mean, obviously they're way more profitable. They're like drivers for the university, especially Ohio State. Yeah. But here it's all pro sports. Like what, what do you think that is about our psyche here in Denver in the West that we want to cheer for these pros and these billionaires toys instead of like a, something as valorous as a university? I'm because I think we're more of a working class town. I think that we were more rooted in that in the first place. And, you know, when we did get the Broncos and the Nuggets, and I don't necessarily think they were attached to these billionaire megalomaniacs, or at least in the in the public eye, they weren't. They were our teams and mm -hmm. they belonged to us. And we were the reason that they were popular or not. Mm -hmm. And so I don't that's why I think I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some cloud around some of our college teams. The buffs are huge. but yeah. And not to discount that at all, but I just think that it's, to me, growing up as a kid in the 80s here is an integral part of our... The donkeys are who we are. You the know donkeys. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody called them when I was a kid. Uh, this year? Do they feel like our team? <laughs> no. No, no as, Shannon, as Shannon Sharp said, Seattle sold us 11. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. He said, I'm sorry, Broncos country. You know I love you, but Seattle sold you a lemon. <laughs> There's still time to turn it around, Broncos. Let's, let's ride. I, I've been uh, watching the games. I don't know. I don't know. You're talking about Russell Wilson, of course, for anyone right, who doesn't know the quarterback. Yeah. yeah. He just um, needs to adjust to the altitude. Come on. I know. Oy, uh, it's been, he's had plenty of time. That's what training camp's for. Well, I mean, speaking of turning around situations, I want to bring up this Fubo TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thing? Mm -hmm. Alternative? Is it fair to call it an alternative? Can you explain a little more? I, I don't get it. I think it's a, I think this is a really curious aspect of it because Fubo TV is like another streaming service, but they offer some kind of like cable like package of channels. So if you pay $69 a month, you get access to like 130 channels. And what they announced earlier this week was a new deal with Altitude, the Cronkies to broadcast Nuggets games and Avs games. Um, and it's a three-year deal. So so I, I don't know. I think this is reflective of like changing technology in the media market, for mm -hmm. one. Cord cutters, people who get rid of their cable, maybe? Maybe. I don't know anyone who uses any services like this. Like, it doesn't seem like a realistic option, but I can't exactly put my finger on why. It's also $69 a month. 
yeah. for this streaming service. And the way the streaming services are to begin with, we're already paying separately for HBO, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Netflix, Hulu. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to add another thing. And I'm also not paying $70 a month to watch the Nuggets. I'll just watch yeah. them by it's less than legal means streaming elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Not a solution. I am also not going to be signing up. I think it's mostly a distraction that the Cronkies rolled out. I agree. It was like, but time. what about this, you guys? Yeah. Like, you're stupid. You'll think this is fine. They treat us like, I don't know. I think, that they're, I think that they hope it works. I think that they hope people like it because clearly whatever they're offering Comcast, Comcast isn't interested in. Yeah. I, I don't even understand how this is going to get fixed. Um, I mean, I did read that any kind of legal uh, hearing in the case is pushed off, which is why we're, we're not getting our nuggets and our avalanche for a fourth season that's happening like next November. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> I'm sure we'll be talking about this again when the playoffs start. Oh, for sure. Maybe that's the silver lining here is that the teams will undoubtedly be good. Yeah. Jamal Murray's back. Yeah. I mean, we're doing, we're looking pretty good. Hmm. Bree, I thought you brought up such a great point, which is it feels like sports teams should belong to all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's why this just feels so unfair i mean because we're the reason that they exist you can't have these things if nobody is interested and they're such an identifiable part of our culture as a city i mean the in particular i'm talking about the broncos more so just because they're so identified with denver but if you think about that i mean that is like one of the it's just a an element of denver that i identify with so many different kinds of people in this city yeah. It's a unifying uh, point of pride for us. And the Nuggets and the Avs could be there on a bigger scale if they were able to reach more people. And they're just not. I mean, I'm thinking about, I have, <laughs> I have a 16-month-old who I have to, s- to set up the iPad so he can mm-hmm. watch preseason games <laughs> while he's drinking his bottle before bed. Because this is how my husband has trained my son. <laughs> he loves basketball. <laughs> This is yes, Crazy. exactly the next part generation of the yep. mm-hmm. of yeah. Nuggets fans. Start young. I don't know. Do you think he's even gonna like watch games though? That's another thing that's changing about sports is like people consume it differently. Young people like like clips and like YouTube compilations and I mean based I mean, on I don't like regular season hockey. I'm not gonna sit down for two and a half hours and watch these <gasps> millionaires not skate hard. That shocks really? me. That yeah. shocks oh me. That surprised me too because oh, I was like, I watch regular season games. nuggets games for sure. It's oh yeah, you guys. Horrible. Well, I don't know. Basketball has a pretty bananas amount of well, games too. Everyone has their own opinion, feelings sure, about sure. sports. You sure, know sure. what they get out of it, but there are. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it's more of a boutique product, and like the diehards will pay for the service that will get them the most access. And, and I wouldn't be sad if somebody pops the tires on that stupid truck driving around. <laughs> that, is that would be the funniest photograph. <laughs> yes, it yeah, would. Yeah, maybe something will happen. I don't know. All right, well, we got a little more news to get to, so why don't we take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board, because the wine community here is, like, surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone, and there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. We are back and we are talking about something that feels like kind of a big deal. I mean, it was a big enough deal that President Biden showed up in Colorado, uh, and that was to designate a new national monument, Camp Hale. Um, Paul, I think of you as the team's resident history buff. Can you explain what Camp Hale was? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the part of this that I love is the story, the history to it, as you said. Um, and I think the most important thing you have to know about this place is that they called it Camp Hell. I thought that was interesting. That leaped off the page to me from the Colorado Encyclopedia, which is still my favorite website, best place on the internet. <laughs> but this place, it like, it's an incredible story because it is such a Colorado story. Um, if you are not familiar, here are the highlights. 1939, a small group of Finnish soldiers fighting on skis took down a much larger and better armed Russian force. The U.S. Army takes notice. Yeah. And they start looking for somewhere in the United States that could maybe be a good training ground for our own ski-based ski fighters, elite mountain soldiers. <laughs> and that's that where they so found Colorado. Camp Hale, you know, right outside Leadville. It's perfect. It's this like super high altitude, super tough conditions, like honestly hard to visit for a few days. Altitude definitely affected me up there. It's another mile higher. Um, Whoa. I forget that, but yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. Anyway, these soldiers that trained there, they I mean, they went and they fought in Italy and they won this big battle. And it's like, it should be a movie, honestly. Um, I'm surprised it's not. It would be great. It would be I also great. am surprised that this is not sort of a character or not to say stereotype, but that we don't have this as part of Colorado lore at this point. Yeah, well, maybe, I mean, this is the moment, I guess. Here we are adopting it into it. And it, well, the end of the story is the best part. I should finish the story. So they come back from this big battle. The, the war is over. Um, and these, these soldiers who learned to fight on skis in the mountains of Colorado started many ski resorts here. This was the beginning of the ski industry of Colorado. Um, most famous among them, Pete Siebert. He founded Vail Resorts in 1962. So these, these 10th Mountain Division veterans, you'll see that name all over and the Vail Resorts is like a global yeah. company now. Mm -hmm. This is where that comes back to. So they really too. shaped the whole ski resort scene here, the ski industry here. Definitely, wow. definitely. I didn't know that. Well, that's great that hopefully more people will know the story. I, I'm wondering what the National Monument designation actually does. Yeah, I don't. As far as I can tell, nothing at all. <laughs> Just it sets aside this land, hopefully mm -hmm. brings some attention to it, maybe some money. Yeah, it I mean, set it's vibes. It's all vibes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it brings attention to it. Is like this yeah. is we, this is the people here in this place saying that this place is special. We must go visit it and patronize all of their local shops and bars and restaurants. It's a tourism draw. Yeah. yeah, it's huge for tourism. But it's like, in terms of the law, it's supposed to be a permanent designation. But because of the way that Congress has changed the way these things work, like the way national monuments are established is by presidential decree. So, and they can be rolled because back. Because that's time. because Senator Bennett had been trying for a long time to get this designation prior mm -hmm. to, and there was a lot of pushback from Republicans because 
essentially it could mean with the designation that you can't frack or drill or build. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely a political component to this around energy extraction, mining, and mm -hmm. all of that. And I think that's why we saw Democrats strongly supporting this designation, Republicans like Lauren Boebert coming out against it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's telling to remember Bears Ears, the Grand Staircase, Escalante. These were two other national monuments that were established, one by President Clinton, one by President Obama. When President Trump came into office, he just shrank both of them. In terms of the acreage that was covered under the monument. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to your point, that is exactly what I think people are afraid is going to happen here. Like this is, Camp Hale could just become the next political football. Mm -hmm. It feels like it could be. Yeah, I mean, let's say Trump's elected again and he's <sighs> like, I don't care about veterans, which he has literally said. Yeah. yeah he <laughs> he could roll it back. I feel like that's an irony with this particular Camp Hale designation. It is a very, you know, sacred to the military. That was something I was curious about. Like, why did Bennett have such a hard time making this happen? Like, I, he started, I guess, campaigning for this in 2016, and it's been six years. Like, is was this that controversial? I used to read legislation. I used to cover Congress in this weird, specific way. Like, this kind of thing is what gets passed in Congress, is these, like, bland designations like, that come with no obligation and no it's like a like, blip we barely yeah. ever hear about it yeah. rename a courthouse dedicate a national monument and like also biden's doing it but he doesn't control the purse strings you know the the group that's going to be administering the land is the forest service and they get their funding from congress so if congress really really didn't want to fund it and the next president really wants to shrink it like I don't know. It's just yeah. vibes. Well, we should move on from this perhaps symbolic designation uh, to talk about the Denverite of the week, because this is such a fascinating story. Richard Crowther sounds like a fascinating person. But Bree, it sounds like this is going to be one of these potentially very contentious preservation fights. What What's going on? So Richard Crowther was an architect here in Denver uh, from like the late 40s on. He passed away in 2006. Um, he was known, especially within the architecture world, as someone that was pushing eco-conscious design, designs of homes and buildings that would utilize things like our sunlight um, for energy and warmth and things like that. He was kind of ahead of the curve in that sense. But what I, uh, where I was introduced to his work and where I think a lot of folks might actually know his work best is he was um, hired by Ben Krasner, whose family is... Uh, the owners of Lakeside. He was brought in in the late 40s, uh, early in his architecture career, to redesign some of the ticket booths. So when you go to Lakeside, it's so seamless that you maybe don't notice, but there's two very distinct styles of architecture happening there. The Beaux-Arts, which is turn of the last century, the Victorian, very ornate yeah. um, buildings and, and things like that. And then there's this mid-mod, there are these mid-mod ticket booths all around that you'll see at the Tilt-A-Whirl, the Ferris wheel, but they kind of, they're beautiful. They're very, you know, sharp, sharp lines, fun designs. But they go so well with an amusement park feel that you may not even notice that they're there, which is like how you know architecture is really good <laughs> is if it just does its job and you don't notice it. But what the fight is over right now is that Crowther designed his own home for he and his wife that was also his like uh, studio in the late 70s in Cherry Creek North. And if we know anything about Cherry Creek North, its land is worth 
more than most uh, Mm. neighborhoods in the city proper. And so after uh, Crowther died in 2006, unfortunately, the house changed hands quite a bit and went into disrepair. And recently, or at least the current owners of it are a development company that want to knock it down and build luxury townhomes. And a couple architects stepped up uh, who were friends of Crowther's and are petitioning to make it historic. So that's kind of where the fight lies right now. What a fascinating story. This, what a life this person lived. Yeah. Um, Looking at the home, I mean, it's so incredible. It's not just like, oh, we'll put some window tinting and solar panels. I mean, this home itself is just rooted in this kind of eco-conscious um, design. I was it even fascinated. extended into the yard. I mean, that's what I found from Michael Polly's piece in Westward, who's uh, – been long been you know following and critiquing mm-hmm. the way that we handle historic designations here but he talked about even the way that he landscaped it was conscious of the seasons and and how we could best use all these things that we're talking about now mm-hmm. xeriscaping yeah i mean that stuff. was kind of before xeriscaping became absolutely the thing. Mm-hmm. and so that's kind of the argument here is like this is an important piece of architecture because it also represents this moment that we're in right now of someone that was an innovator in how we build better for the environment. I am going to just go out on a limb and say, I I would save this. I think Mm -hmm. uh, we're not itching for luxury townhomes. That's not going to make a dent (laughs) in our affordable housing crisis. So I, I I see this as a cash grab for a developer that bought a dilapidated house for 4 million. Who's going to scrape it, build luxury condos and make a couple million off of it. And I have no sympathy for that. But Paul, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, this, this one doesn't have a shot. They, none of them have had a chance for a while. The Denver seven got knocked down. That was like, yeah, all the, the arguments about brutalism I mean, were correct then. Tom's Diner, I guess, is the counterexample, but that's a weird, unique situation. Yeah, and I would see those. It, the Tom's Diner experience through this whole process is very different from this in that Tom Messina owned it, and he owned it for a long time, mm-hmm. and he saw this as his retirement. And I do feel for him that it didn't ultimately end up the way that he wanted, and it's, it's a long gun fight, so I'm not going to get into it. But this is different. This is a developer that bought a property that somebody had let go into disrepair. And I just don't feel for them. Like, yeah. But at the same time, nobody cared for it. And is that the developer's fault? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Just let the land appreciate. Let, let me respond to something you said a minute ago, because I guess it falls to me to be the, the Yimby voice here to make the case for <laughs> sure. the housing. Sure. You said it won't make a dent in the housing market to replace one old home with four luxury condos. But I think when you look at the market in the aggregate, yes, it will make a dent. It will make a very, 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 very small dent. And should that site be converted to more dense housing, that will mean slightly, well, it should mean slightly lower housing prices for all, at least lower than they otherwise would have been. I'm not going to say that this is going to lead to a downward trajectory or anything, but in the aggregate, lower prices should result from this. That's what I've been hearing for 10 years, Paul, and I I have seen the opposite happen, which I find this trickle down baloney about the mark like the market will even itself out if we do this it's not happened no I it don't hasn't happened buy it for a second this is too good of a place to live demand is exceeding supply too quickly 
the There's secret ways. is out. That's that's the story of the housing market. I mean, well, and I, while I do agree with you that we should be able to um, replace single family homes with multiple units, I just I don't think that that's going to matter much in the luxury market. <laughs> if this was a like quote unquote regular neighborhood, I could see an argument for that where it was maybe creating some affordable or relatively affordable housing for families. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's kind of to me like how in Wash Park, half of those houses are scraped to build even larger single family homes. It's doing nothing. Yeah, that 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 side I don't understand as much. The whole like luxury, the luxury tip of the housing market. I really don't know what people want. Like it seems like that they it's want such giant a small empty market. houses. Yeah, they want I've giant empty houses. I've in these like, houses. There's huh. nothing in them. <laughs> mm. I've just yeah, wondered if luxury is a buzzword and what 100%. what does it mean? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I just wonder if there's a perception thing here because we are talking about more housing density. So if this were not a prized um, house that you know that has this history and this you know great architect designed it, but if it were just a giant house, would we feel the same about knocking it down and building four? No, because I think that's kind of what gets to the the point at the, in this particular issue is this is a piece of. Denver history that speaks to this bigger movement towards building more ecologically sound buildings from someone who was seeing a trend 20, 30 years before and not being taken seriously for it. And I think it's kind of important to remember these folks and the work that they do so that, you know, because that tells the story of our city. Honestly, it's, it's complicated because the people, some people like me who might think more about density and care more about the the market forces it's all about climate for us too it's the same values you know that's what density means is more a climate conscious living more climate conscious city design and so i also like aspire to the same ideals that this guy did and i would want to celebrate that and i would want our city to represent that i want that to be why people come here um but it just seems like in this particular instance, these two things are really at odds. I don't know. I mean, how many how many pioneering architects are there in the city? You know, how many houses do we need to preserve? That where do we draw the line? That's fair. That's that's, that's a, a hard, fair question. That's a hard it's because it's not his thing. only design for sure. Mm-hmm. Like if they wanted to tear down the lakeside lights, the signs, the mid mod stuff. Like when you told said that, when you identified that there's these two different styles going on, I had never put my finger on that. But yeah oh my God, that's why that place is special. And it is so cool. If they wanted to tear those down, you know, sign me up for the militia. You know, where <laughs> do is, we, how do we stop this? <laughs> that's Paul's line in the sand. <laughs> I wouldn't be the only one. Oh, for sure. That place I mean, is so special. It is special. Um, but I don't know if there's going to be the same like call to action around this place. Well, and but, the other thing you know, too we'll is see. like, I can rattle all day about why I think Richard Crowther's important and why his home, this particular building was important. And I also know it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to get knocked down anyway. They're going to build whatever they want. It's Cherry Creek North. That neighborhood is long gone. That was, it was once a <laughs> quote unquote working class community. It was where our, you know, our first black community was settled. Uh, it, but none of that's there anymore. Nobody yeah. cares. It's about money. So it's You fine. know, what would have been fascinating, and before you said the thing about um, how the landscape was such an important part of it, I was thinking, why not do with this house what they did with Vance Kirkland's house? Pick it up and move it? Yeah. They, That'd how they, be awesome. A few years ago, they picked up his house in Cap Hill, his studio, and they moved it to the Golden Triangle and built and a built new a museum, museum around, around it. it. And it's beautiful. As much as I disagree with museums devoted to single white men, I might be into this one for Richard Crowther. 
<laughs> I like that cool. idea, Paul. I That yeah. would be a great compromise to me. Maybe they could have like some of his students or his like people who he's influenced like design a new space for his house to be in. Yeah, because also it's not like even if it gets preserved, it gets to be utilized by the public really in any capacity. Yeah. Like, you know, some Frank Lloyd Wright houses have become museums to mm -hmm. his work. Um, where we can really learn about what he did. But that might be the ultimate compromise. If maybe if the developer wanted to do right by the city, could we find a new plot of land for it? <laughs> Plenty of old parking lots over in my neighborhood on the yeah. southwest side. Drop that Crowther <laughs> building down there. Let's build a museum around it and learn about how to make eco-conscious design. I love that. Let's do that. How expensive would that be? I don't know. Do you know. remember how expensive it was with Vance Kirkland's house? No. Stan I'm Kroenke sure could do crazy. this. He's got billions. <laughs> he could. <laughs> He could. I'm sure he could. He could. He could so, do it with the flick of a wrist. But ultimately, it's uh, it will be in the hands of city council, mm -hmm. okay. who I guarantee will vote against saving it, and it will get demolished. So yeah. they might say some nice things about him. <laughs> I would. Yeah, well, I'm sure nice. there's more to say too that we haven't even talked about. There's a ton I'd more to say. To I think more. we should be more proud that he he really made his name in Colorado, but yeah. unfortunately, he's just not super well known outside of. Uh, dweebs like me who care too much about buildings <laughs> that nobody cares about. <laughs> well, before we go, I just wanted to say congratulations to my brother Evan and his fiance Kristen because they're getting married this weekend in Denver. They're coming oh. back to Denver to have a little wedding. Congratulations. Where are... Where they're are just we? having a little... It's a very small party. So... Um, they didn't really want to have a wedding at all, but <laughs> our mothers are forcing them to do it. But uh, age old story. I, yeah, I love it. They're also um, expecting a baby in a couple months, so Montgomery's oh. going to have a cousin. Wonderful. So, yeah. Congrats to your whole family. Thank that's you. That's so nice. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Well, okay. you guys, this was so much fun. Bree, Paul, thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and me, Erin O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell Blink-182 about us next time you see them. You can sign up for Hey Denver by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next time.